Amen, amen. What's good? Grab your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we'll be uh, this morning. My name is Jimbo Stewart. Yes, that is my name. And uh, as, as Pastor Mike said, I, I hope in May to be Dr. Jimbo just because that's fun. Uh, and on Valentine's Day, you may feel like, did he ask Dr. Jimbo to come give us hillbilly romantic advice? Because that sounds like what might happen. Uh, but no, we're going to dive into the book of Nehemiah together. Um, I uh, am grateful for the partnership we have had with you guys for the last several years at Redemption Church in Jacksonville. And now as we go into a new journey with North American Mission Board, excited to see uh, where that takes us and what God's going to do with that. My specialty uh, is working with dying churches. And so you may think, so why are you talking to us? We're not a dying church. And I'll amen that. You're not a dying church. Uh, you're a church that has been revitalized, and I'm grateful uh, to see what God has done. I'm grateful for Pastor Mike as a mentor to me over the last years. He came into my life right as we entered the hardest season of our ministry and really helped me through some time with that as an encourager. And so uh, I'm excited to be with you today. But as, as I think about dying churches, one of the things I do when I go into a dying church and try to help them is identify in the midst of uh, difficult circumstances where it feels like there is no hope or no clear direction forward, I help them identify what their actual priorities are and where their hope has been. Now, here's what's good with that. For you, it's the same kind of thing, same kind of questions, same kind of things for us to figure out is uh, where, where is our hope? Where are we putting our priorities? Because one of the things we'll find in life is that we have what we call, what I call aspirational priorities. So it's things that you say are a priority or you want to be a priority, but they are not actually priorities. And we can see where our priorities are and where our hope is by what we do in times of difficulty, where we turn and how we spend our time, how we spend our money and all of those things, right? And here's what I wanna, I wanna really, really push one idea with you today. That in the midst of all the darkness in the world right now, there is one great place we can turn for hope, and that is God's Word. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. All right, last service, I had to teach them what that means when you do amen and the, the, the response back. So a couple of you guys seem to know how to do that. Uh, and so if I say something that seems really true, then you can say amen. You want to practice something really true and awesome? Amen. There we go. All right. And so if you really feel it, you can even say like a come on brother or keep on going or thank you or something like that. And it, it helps me. It gives me energy. But fair warning, the more you do that, the longer my sermon's probably going to get. Because um, I'll just get jazzed up and I'll just keep going. Uh, and so she, she speaks with experience. Um, I, I am convinced that it's the God's word that we need, but I'm also convinced that in, in a time where we have more access to God's word and more access to resources about God's word, we seem to have an increasing illiteracy to God's word. And one of the things that I love about Mercy Hill Church is I 
talk to pastors and churches all across our country is you guys, I hope you recognize how blessed you are to be a part of a rare church, sadly, a rare church where God's word is held in high esteem, where the pastors lead through the authority of God's word, informed by God's word, and that's led by Pastor Mike, and I hope you know how blessed you are. That's a good time to clap, by the way. You, you should, everyone, he didn't pay me to say this, I promise, but you should let him know every once in a while how much you appreciate the, all the leaders of this church, how they lead uh, based off of God's word. Because if you've been here for a while, you may not know how rare that is. But out of my job and what I do, I can tell you how rare that is. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'll tell you that in our country for the last several years, we average four to 6,000 churches closing their doors every year. Uh, about a thousand of those are Southern Baptist. And so there's a growing issue with dying churches. And I don't think the pandemic has helped. Uh, the pandemic seems to have highlighted some other problems and we seem to see more churches dying. And so it's a great blessing to get to be in a church this morning that's not dying. And it's not, it's not big because it's cool. Uh, this church is not growing because of how cool Pastor Mike is, uh, but this church is growing because of how great God's word is. Amen? All right. The, the prophet Amos said, in eight, Amos 8, 11, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of, the, of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. This, I think, we, is where we find ourselves, in a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite guys, because he's a large guy with a beard that's very loud, and so I feel a brotherhood with him. Charles Spurgeon said, I would rather speak five words out of this book than 50,000 words of the philosophers. If we want revivals, we must revive our reverence for the word of God. If we want conversions, we must put more of God's word into our sermons. As a matter of fact, when Paul, a mentor to Timothy, as Mike, Pastor Mike is to me, uh, wrote in 2 Timothy, he told him, listen to the first sentence because he lays it on real thick here. Uh, in, in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, verse 1 is all Paul laying it on thick. The whole verse is Paul just setting up one quick phrase to Timothy. In verse 1 he says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, laying it on real thick, how important what he's going to say is, uh, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. That was all set up. That was all intro for this one phrase, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Now, what does preaching the word look like? Well, Paul tells Timothy preaching the word looks like to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort. So in other words, sometimes God's word is going to step on your toes. Sometimes God's word is going to call you out. If you are reading God's word and you disagree with what it says, you are probably reading it correctly. And you need to keep studying and let it apply. But if you read it and you always agree, always with everything God's word says, you probably aren't reading it correctly. This isn't a book meant to back up all of your opinions. This isn't a book meant to just stand behind what you think ought to be said, but this is a book that's meant to be dive, you dive into it deeply with others to understand it. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the most urgent need in the Christian church today is true preaching. And it is the greatest and most urgent need in the church. It is the greatest need of the world also. That's what we're going to see in the passage that we look at in Nehemiah chapter 8 today. In light of this passage, I'm going to ask if you will stand as we, I read God's word. Uh, and you'll see that in this passage here. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard, and on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it from it, he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the, for, for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, Padiah, Mishael, Machai, Hashum, Hashabanah, Zechariah, and Meshalum, on his left hand, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it up, all the people stood, which is why I asked you to stand. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, until the people answered, Amen, Amen. Everybody say, Amen. amen. Lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jezebad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, as we open your word this morning, I... I ask that you speak it boldly into our hearts, that your word would speak louder than mine, that you would use me as a broken vessel, as a dying man to dying people, and Lord, that we would, each of us, including myself, leave here with a greater affection for your word, a greater adherence to your word, and that we would be shining lights in the darkness of this world. Lord, I pray even those that have not been brought into your family yet, that you would awaken their hearts through the teaching of your word. Lord, that you would use the power of your word to reconcile marriages, to break addictions, to mend relationships, to glorify your name through us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In the historical context of what's happening, I, I like to see the history of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation as this, um, this process of what I call progressive intimacy. So Adam and Eve got to walk in the garden in perfect rhythm and perfect peace and in perfect relationship with God. But they chose to do some things on their own and their own way, and that's called sin, when we decide to do things our way instead of God's way, and that broke 
that relationship and started to create this gap. But over time, throughout history, in the Old Testament, we see God progressively closing that gap. So he calls Abraham to be a called covenant people, and that closes the gap a little bit between God and man. And then he starts to send them to the promised land. All these things happen. Moses delivers them from slavery. He gives Moses the law and he brings them to the promised land through Joshua. They build a temple and we're able to do sacrifices and the, and the gap continually gets closed, but there's still a gap because of our sin. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to close that gap so that we could have right relationship with God. And we are continually on this earth closely and closely getting more intertwined with him and one day we will be in glory as adopted sons and daughters of God, co-heirs, co-inheritors, co-laborers with Jesus, brothers and sisters of Jesus, perfectly in glory one day. Now, throughout that historical process, the Israelites find themselves in what's called the Babylonian exile. They're kicked out, and so the prophets start to speak to that about hope that will come one day. And Ezra and Nehemiah are actually all one book together originally. We've split those up in our Bible. It's not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just how it's gotten categorized in modern Bibles, but they're really one book written by one author. And towards the beginning of that, the prophets speak of hope of God bringing his people back together, a city without walls, all these things. There are three leaders in that book of Ezra and Nehemiah. There's Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And each of them work towards rebuilding God's people in God's city coming back together. And Zerubbabel works on rebuilding the temple. Ezra works on reestablishing the laws of the Torah. And Nehemiah works on rebuilding the walls. When we find ourselves in Nehemiah chapter 8, all of that has happened. The temple has been rebuilt. The laws have been reestablished. The walls have been rebuilt and they're trying to figure out what to do. If you go back into the end of chapter 7, you'll find that this is the beginning of the year uh, for them. And so this is a way of establishing everything at the beginning of the year. They gather together in this miraculous gathering of God's people after they've been exiled for so long and all over the place. There's all these different groups of people. They are divided because there are people who were never exiled. There are people who were exiled and have come back. There are rulers and uh, they have different perspectives and there are enemy forces coming in and trying. So there's political tension. There's division in the country and lack of clear direction of where to go. Can anybody relate? And so they find themselves in this position and to establish themselves in the beginning of the year, what do they do? Well, let's look, verses one through three, and understand that when we find ourselves in this same situation, we need to make understanding God's word a priority. Amen. And all the people gathered as one man, the unity of that is, is the idea of them being unified. They're divided in so many ways, they're unified here into the square before the water gate. They didn't do it in the temple. They didn't do it where they'd have to separate men and women. They, this is a really unusual, unique moment of really incredible unity as they gather at the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, this is one of the first times we see Nehemiah and Ezra come together. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and 
and women and all who could understand what they heard, meaning children of age, and on the first day of the seventh month, the beginning of the year. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Now, early morning, from the best we can gather for them, as the sun rose, was probably around 5.30 in the morning to noon. And so I told Pastor Mike, if if I go long-winded, which I tend to do, at least I'm not going to go six hours. And so if you hear me speaking fast, I'm used to being able to do 45, 50-minute sermons, and I'm trying to get in as much as I can with you. But we have a six-hour reading of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. For many people that are present there, this is the first time they've ever been able to sit under something like this. So it's a pretty incredible circumstance. So, uh, and all, but here's what it says, in, in, in the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. In the original language, that last sentence there doesn't actually have a verb. It just, it basically says, and all the ears of all the people connected to the word. So for six hours, he is standing, they're standing, he's reading the first five books of the Bible, and they're locked in. Now you have to understand, they don't have a physical Bible at home on a shelf. They can't look it up on their phone. And so this is a really cool opportunity for them. But the problem with us having all that access is it breeds familiarity, which we lose the majesty of God's word sometimes. But the word understand or some version of the word for understand is used over six times, at least six times in this passage. We have to be a people who understand God's word. We're we're not just a people who read God's word. You don't just need to open your Bible every morning and read it a little bit. We need to understand it. It needs to transform us by the renewal of our minds. It needs to soften our hearts. It needs to make us more like Jesus. And that happens through understanding and application. In Muslim areas where there's a mosque, they'll, they'll blast out the prayer call in, in Arabic, and they're doing that <clears throat> to make sure that you hear those words. Many Muslims that even, don't even know how to interpret Arabic will memorize and learn how to read the Quran in Arabic because they believe there's something almost magical or mystical or supernatural about just the words going out or just the words, be, whether you understand them or not. Now, it may be easy to pick on Muslims because that's not us, but there are churches today that will have a high church reading of the Old Testament and the New Testament in their service, but never explain the text. Or maybe even you, in your Bible reading practice at home, just open the Bible and read enough so you can check the box and say that you read your Bible. The key is we have to be people who understand. Problem is, we don't like to understand. We just like to say what we think. And we just want people to agree with us. If you haven't seen that evidence in the last 18 months, you haven't been paying attention. And maybe you need to look in the mirror. There's a proverb that I've been thinking about a lot over the last 18 months, and I'm going to read it here in a second. And if the Holy Spirit nudges you a little bit with it, and it stings, well, then it stings. And if the shoe fits, the shoe fits. Proverbs 18, 2. 
a fool, everybody say fool. fool. It's not a good thing. I'm trying to figure out if we're a fool. Proverbs 18:2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. Takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. When we live in a divided culture, one of the worst things we can do as a church is just hurl our opinions at people. Listen, understanding and agreeing are not the same thing. But I really believe, church, we live in an opportunity as the world becomes increasingly aware of the darkness around us to shine a light of the hope of the gospel. Or we can squander that like fools by taking no pleasure in understanding it only in expressing our own opinions. So if you evaluate every snarky remark you've made about people who disagree with you in the last 18 months, and you apply that through the filter of Proverbs 18.2, you may find yourself a fool. But there's good news. There's good news that through repentance and understanding and applying God's word, we can grow to be more like Jesus. Jesus even said, in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. In other words, Jesus is saying it's possible for you to go to church your whole life, study the scriptures your whole life and forget that this is really about Jesus. And you may academically understand and acknowledge that it's about Jesus, but you need to miraculously understand that that progressive intimacy that Jesus is reconciling and redeeming the world through him, through us. Like, catch that. The job of us as a church is to be the body of Christ reconciling the world back to him through the word of God understood and applied in our lives. I, it may sound simplistic, but I'm convinced. I really am convinced. I believe what this Bible says so much. I am convinced, church, that if we who call ourselves children of God studied and understood the Word of God and applied it in our lives, it really could fix pretty much everything going on in the world everything. If we quit being fools who take no pleasure in understanding, but just like expressing our own opinion and started being people who were submissive to the word of God, it would change everything. It would impact our marriages, our relationships, our finances, our country, all of it. So the next thing we see is not only do they make understanding God's word a priority, they elevate the status of God's word. We need to elevate the status of God's word in our lives. Look at verses four through six. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose, maybe similar to this, and behind and beside him stood, I'm not going to read all the names again, uh, but on his right hand some people, and on his left hand some people. And Ezra opened the book, and the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. For six hours, everybody stood. They have him on a platform. They've elevated the status of God's word in their lives. I believe we've got to recognize 
that the word of God is not just meant to be a small little shot in the arm on Sunday mornings or in our morning devotionals. When Jesus said, pursue first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he did not mean in sequential order, like you get to pursue his righteousness first and then you go do whatever you want to do. He meant pursue first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in preeminence in everything that you do. In other words, and listen, before you start to try to create exceptions, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus anticipated your exceptions. And what does he say? Look, don't even worry about a roof over your head or clothes on your back or food on your table, but pursue first of first of first importance of preeminence in your life, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Under, understand this. That means, husbands, on Valentine's Day, you want to be a good husband, pursue first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You want to be a better father, a better wife, a better child, a better friend, a better worker, pursue first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Pursue first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as we abide in Jesus and his love and his word, we become more like him. And if that won't make you a better husband, wife, son, or worker, then I don't know what will. But what we see here happening at the end of all this process of rebuilding the temple, of reestablishing the laws of the Torah, of rebuilding the walls, as we see them elevate God's word. And we should do the same. When Paul was communicating with the Philippians, who he loved so dearly, if you study the relationship between Paul and the Philippians, man, it was, it was tight-knit, really closely connected. And Paul tells them in Philippians 2, 14 through 16, do all things. Everybody say all things. All things. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Sounds similar? Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul basically saying, look, all the time I spent with you, all that we've been through, don't waste it by making the word of God something small in your life. But hold fast. Do it without grumbling or complaining. Live in a world that is dark without grumbling or complaining, church. Live in a world that is dark, shining as lights, not foolishly spewing your opinions out there but pointing people to the word of God because the word of God matters to you. Let it matter to you so much that it changes you, that you become transformed by the renewal of your mind and that you then shine as lights in a dark world, elevate the status of God's word in your life. Make it a part of every single thing you do. And then next we see that we need to gather around God's word like we're doing right now. But more than, more than what we're doing right now, I love what I see happen in this passage here. It's kind of like the, the start of small groups happened right here. If you look at what's going on, we need to, ver, verses six through eight, and Ezra blessed the Lord 
the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. Just because I like hearing you say it. Lifting up their hands. It's okay, Baptists, we're allowed to do that. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then it lists about 13 people in the Levites who, verse 7, pay attention, it says, helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. So Ezra is on the platform for six hours reading the Pentateuch and 13 guys and the Levites are all out breaking into small groups, making sure everyone understands. Now, here's what's so fascinating about this. If you pay attention to the passage, this is not all men gathered in the synagogue. This is not all men gathered in the temple and the women on the other side. This is everybody's there, and they're just going around. Imagine there's a young boy, and he's asking questions, and they're getting to answer it, and they're talking to these other people, and they're, they're going all over the place and helping people understand because, listen to me, just listening to good preaching, and praise God, you get good preaching here on a regular basis. But if you think that that's the essence of your biblical diet for the week, you're missing it. No matter how good the preaching is, we need to gather around God's word and discuss it and help each other understand it and ask hard questions and be willing to say, I don't know what that means. Help me understand that. Listen, you, you ought to be making disciples. You. You ought to be making disciples. You need to be discipling someone in God's word or being discipled or better yet, both. Do not think that just coming here and sitting in a good service it's going to give you the hope that Jesus talks about. Here's what I found. People who just go to church on Sunday morning and just nod their head, and then that's it, they often eventually, either in their own mind or even out loud with their actions, say, I don't know if there's any reality to all of this. The, the pastor talks with all these grandiose words about how great it is, how wonderful the hope is, how much hope there is, and the joy that we can have in the Lord, but I have not experienced that. Maybe you haven't experienced it because you've got a malnourished diet of God's Word. We need to gather. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave sense so that the people understood the reading faithful preaching, hearing, and applying of God's word leads to joyful obedience. And ladies and gentlemen, that will change the world. It will absolutely change the world. As we look at what's going on around us, we have an opportunity to shine our light. In Ephesians chapter 4, instructions are given to the leaders of the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then you are told that you, as the saints, are to build each other up in the word. Why? And this is so important in the modern context we live in. Verse 14, Ephesians 4, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
And Paul goes on in that passage to say that as we gather around God's word and sharpen each other with God's word and build each other up in love, that the church grows in love. That is the biblical church growth model. That is how God intends to change this world through you. But in order to understand God's word, we have to ask the right questions. In Genesis chapter 3, the enemy comes to Adam and Eve and says, did God really say? And he convinces them to apply God's word to what they wanted to apply it to anyway. That's not the right question. When Joshua crosses the river and takes people into the promised land, prepares for the battle of Jericho and encounters the commander of the Lord's armies, which I believe is a Christophany, Jesus Christ himself showing up right there with Joshua, he first asks, are you for us or are you against us? In other words, I've got an agenda, I've got a direction. God, are you for me or are you against me? That's also the wrong question. But then when he looked up and he saw who he was talking to, he asked the right question. Lord, what would you have me do? That's my charge to you. I don't know what God's calling you to do. I know this. You need to make understanding God's word a priority in your life. You need to elevate the status of God's word in your life. And we need to gather together around God's word and build each other up, asking, Lord, what would you have me do? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for a church that loves your word. But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just nod our head and think Sunday school, typical Christianese thoughts about this, but that we would truly fall in love with your word and understand it and be shining lights in the darkness in this world through it. And that Lord, as, as your word impacts our hearts, may we ask and obey what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand together in uh, response of the preaching of God's word um, this morning. And uh, just, a, just a few things. Um, he, he, brings us, he brought a word that is trying to draw us back to the significance of the word of God in our life, to understand it, to be able to know it. And uh, I'm reminded of the passage of scripture in, in uh, James where it says it's like a man who looks deeply and per- perceives himself and what he's like in a mirror only to be able to walk away and to be able to forget it. I don't want us to be able to leave today and understand exactly what, what we just heard. The fact that you and I need to be people of the book. And people of the book is not merely being a part of a church that preaches the word. That's an important and an essential part of it. But it's so much more than that. It's about you being students of the Word of God, opening it, not just reading it, but learning to study in it. You know, I, I, was, um, I was talking with a gentleman uh, who doesn't, he doesn't go to this church, um, but he just really kind of wanted to talk to me about all that's going on in, in the world, and he's really bashed about it, really down about it. And finally, we had so many conversations. I'm like, bro, I love you, but I just can't keep having these conversations. I go, these conversations are depressing. And I go, do this with me. I will meet with you and I will talk with you through this if you promise to spend as much time in the Word of God as you do watching news. If you do it, then we'll have something to talk about and we'll have a way to navigate through it. But right now, you're not helping yourself. You need to be in the Word of God. 
Here's what's hard for men oftentimes. Let me just say this. Uh, I've never been a woman, and so it's hard for me maybe to address that. But for, for, for the men who are here, let me just speak to this. Men like to be good at what they do, all right? They like, right men? You like to be good at what you do? You don't like to do things you're not good at. In fact, you just kind of stay away from it. You're like, eh, I don't know how to do that uh, and everything. And then, but here's what happens in the church. So much time goes on for men in the church, and they still don't know how to study the Word of God. That's okay in the beginning, but they begin to become increasingly uncomfortable the more time goes by. It's like not knowing somebody's name at church. It's like in the beginning, you're just like, I don't really know, and you keep asking them. And then there's at some point, maybe in 10 years, that if you don't know their name, you're not asking, right? Because you understand, it's too much time has gone by. Men are often like that in the church where so much time has gone by that they're now embarrassed that they don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth and to study the word of God. And here's what we're saying. You've got to die to that pride because you've got to know the word of God. You've got to get it in you. You've got to submit it. You've got to allow it to be able to guide and direct your path every day. And and, and so we need to know this, both men and women, we need to be able to do it. So here's the response. The response is, in the beginning, is always for salvation. He laid out the full gospel in the very beginning of his message to make sure we understood why, why we're here, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've never repented, place your faith in the completed word, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Right now is that time to do that. If you feel conviction in your heart this morning where you're sitting back and you're thinking to yourself, Listen, I'm that one that doesn't know the word of God. Talk with us. We've got men and women in this church that will lead you and help you to finally begin to understand how to study the word of God. Not just hearing what other people have to say about it, but you, your Bible, and the, and the Holy Spirit leading you to engage and to learn from the Holy Spirit. It, it, we need to be able to respond now. It, we talked a couple of weeks ago. If you're, if you're going to survive the mess that is the world, you have to be grounded. And there was no, no other way except for deep, digging deep wells into the word of God, which is hard and difficult and time-consuming, into the word of God. Only those are not going to be uh, blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Let, let's pray together and let's just respond. Lord Jesus, we just pray right now in the name of Jesus, God, that you would lead our hearts, that we'd respond in faith to the word that has been presented to us. And God, we will live it out in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's worship as we sing.